A man who is good for anything ought not to calculate the chance of living or dying. He ought only to consider whether in doing anything he is doing right or wrong, acting the part of a good man or of a bad. This is a quote by the main man himself, Socrates, and I'm reading from the book The Trial and Death of Socrates by Plato. This book was written sometime in Plato's life. It's not particularly clear when. And this was back in the, I guess, 400 BC. He died in 350 BC, so somewhere around that time. And it's comprised of three of the Socratic dialogues, the Apology and Crito, which were written in the early, I guess, early period of Plato, and Phaedo, which is written in the middle period. It goes over his actual trial and why he won't flee, his musings on death and the soul, and his subsequent taking of the poison and committing suicide in his jail cell. It comprises of his actual defense of himself in the trial and then his subsequent dialogues with his friends in the jail cells expounding on these these different things of um, of interest now these are three of the four socratic dialogues written by plato in this particular book and what is missing missing is euthyphro something like that i don't know how to particularly pronounce that now the themes of the book I guess the overarching theme is death and moral duty and the soul. And it's not particularly clear, I guess, the delineations between the two. And you just have to read the book to to actually go through it or the the dialogues, I would say. Uh, They're only in this 127 pages, 128 pages long and very short, small books. So, you can smash out this thing. But while reading, you, you don't want to smash it out. You definitely want to be considering what he's talking about and, and really contemplating on it. Now, I suppose one of the questions he asks is, what does one owe the state? So, he is talking of how he has a chance to flee. One of his friends says, look, I've got all this money. You can come with me. We'll, you know, party up in, in uh, Mykonos or wherever else in Greece. And he says, no, no, no. Like, I, I'm here in Athens. I need to accept my moral responsibility. And even though a a perversion of justice has happened, he got uh, put to, you know, a death sentence for morally corrupting the youth. He also acknowledges that he he is part of the system and he uh, has benefited from it, such as his early childhood, living in Athens in a, a place which was safe, uh, which looked after him. And so, he sort of has this moral... Uh, his upbringing, for example, is he owes to to the state. And so, he, he basically says like, okay, not only do I have my own moral responsibility, but there's I have the responsibility to follow, follow the morals of other people and what they think. Now, I actually read a book, Crime and Punishment by Fyodor Dostoevsky not too long ago, where he, a similar argument is sort of made where he is talking about, okay, uh, the main character, Raskolnikov, has his own thoughts of morality and as an individual, he believes might makes right. But what he doesn't take into account is the, indiv- uh, the the state, the morals of other people, how it influences the laws and things like that. And so, it's it's sort of you have to take that balance of both. And I think Socrates is basically saying that here, maybe taking it too far and saying, you know what, my own moral responsibility to, I guess, look after my children as they're going to grow up without a father, to my friends, to making the world a better place. 
he, he sort of, I guess, in this case, tends to lean more towards the, the side of the, the state saying, look, they, even though they punished me unfairly, I still have to go through with it. I still have to acknowledge it. One of the other things that comes up is he asks himself, is suicide acceptable? And just to give you a style of the Socratic way of, of communicating and arguing, I'll, I'll go through sort of his arguments in this case. So, he asks himself, is suicide acceptable? And then he'll go on saying, well, yes, if it's better to be dead. So, if it's better to be dead than to be alive, then yes, suicide is acceptable. Then he'll ask, someone asks, well, okay, how can a man decide if if it's better to be dead than the gods can, for example, because they still believed in Zeus and, or, you know, all the other Greek gods. And this is where he'll sort of slither away from that question, not really refute it. And instead go down the different path of being, okay, well, um, it's better to be dead because the soul lives on and we have no right to blah, blah, blah. And I suppose this is one of the the things that I found a little bit annoying. If someone brought up like uh, a counter argument, he would address it in some cases. But in like for this case, for example, he just completely skips it. And my impression growing up was Socrates was this, you know, irrefutable uh, rhetorician who could just destroy any argument no matter what it was and put people in their place so that was a little bit disheartening to realize like oh no he is only a mere mortal he is only a human he is not uh you know the infallible socrates so i guess what also comes from that is he, he expands a lot more of is death um the end or or is there something afterwards now he firmly believes that the the soul is immortal and it goes to he goes to explain why death is not a the end of the soul but the soul passes on and it's sort of like a reincarnation concept uh it's very similar i guess to reincarnation in buddhism but doesn't particularly talk about that but he does say you know if you have a corrupted soul you'll go into a lesser animal if you have a better soul you'll go into like another human and you'll be a better human in your next life now one of the things that actually got me thinking of was, is death actually the opposite of life? And I wanted to make a quick comparison here to anti the anti-fragile argument. So, if you've heard of this book, it's written by Nassim, Nicholas Nassim Taleb. And he basically asked, okay, what's the opposite of fragile? And you might think and say words like, oh, something that's robust, something that's unbreakable, something that's strong. Now, these are not particularly the opposite. They're sort of in the middle because if you think of it, something fragile is when a stress is applied to it, it breaks. But if something's strong, it it, it becomes worse. Whereas if something is strong and you apply to a stress to it, nothing changes. It stays the same. Same with robust. Um, whereas the opposite of fragile would be something that's anti-fragile, something where if you apply stress to it, it actually gets better. And if you talked about, uh, in this example, an example would be going to the gym. You apply stress on your body, your muscle breaks down, but it becomes stronger afterwards. And I was sort of thinking the same for death. Was Is death actually the opposite of life or is it sort of that middle bit? Is it like the middle bit of the of a, of a coin, for example, and, you know, the face on one side is is life, death is that little middle ridge and then on the other side is something actually completely different something that is opposite than life and you know i haven't really thought about this enough to to give a clear definitive example but it sort of seems to me i guess like life would be something that's joyful that's 
that's um you, you can progress on you can i i mean you really have to ask the deep questions for that whereas death i guess for me is sort of just a, a middle zone where you're not really sure like nothing's really going on and then what would be the opposite of life would be i don't know potentially hell or potentially something else so i don't know it just got me questioning that not no there's sort of me just rambling in a socratic way uh but yeah nothing nothing particularly insightful to be gained from that just uh going through my own thought process there now what are some of my observations from the book or from the socratic dialogues well he obviously thought deeply he was a smart guy and obviously amazingly great at rhetoric and arguing with people it sounded like or that's all he did in his life he didn't pursue money or fame or whatever he just liked to talk with people argue with them and uh, get to the truth of things and so the truth is i guess what he essentially seeks now this is good in a sense but if you combine it with who he was as a person i can understand why they put him to death i can understand why he had such an argumentative personality he was very dislikable at least from what i was reading in the first you know his apology section is not so much of an apology as a exhortation of how everyone else is stupid and why he is the wisest i'm being a little bit unfair but not totally at the same time as well for example he talks about how the oracle of delphi proclaimed him as the wisest person on earth and he goes no 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 no! i'm not the wisest person on earth and this is where the humble brag goes but I decided to test that. And so I started speaking to all the people who were regarded as, as very wise. And every one of them, they were just dumbasses. So, you know, sort of by default, by elimination, I must be the wisest person on earth. Obviously, you can see how this would really piss off those people who are saying, uh, you know what, they're actually dumbasses. They're not really that wise. And I guess it's like, <laughs> it, it, to me, it just really struck me that if I was in his time, I think there's a very good chance I would dislike him as a person. Just his personality style and his way of arguing really, I think would, as a person to person, me to him would really piss me off. Obviously, that doesn't justify putting him to death just because he is uh, he annoys you. But also, I can see why, you know, if you piss off enough people, they're going to be pissed off and they're going to want to do bad things to you. So, you have to take that into account. I think he did and he saw it through the whole way. He didn't bail out when he had the chance. He didn't, in his apology, he stuck to his guns. He did not waver and try and supplicate and beg for his life or anything like that. So, you know, say what you want about the man as his personality and whether you'd like him or not. He's very admirable in the sense that he stuck to his guns and he went for it 100%. He did not waver in, in the face of death. He did not waver in the face of of odd overwhelming odds of you know maliciousness of injustice of whatever it is so you know that that he has very good parts of his personality and then there's parts of his personality where i personally would be like the not not interested i suppose two main detractions from his actual style and from his his arguments and dialogues one is they're very they're more more like monologues if you looked at the book in total it's 95 percent him speaking and then five percent his friends or other people re- trying to refute or argue with them and even when they do that he has a style which he, he was probably like the original salesman 
because he does the yes ladder where he says, oh, now, uh, obviously, we know that death is the opposite of life. Would you not agree with this, Phaedo? And Phaedo goes, yes, yes, of course, Socrates. And then he goes, and then following from this, blah, blah, blah. And so, he'll basically have this list of things and each time the person has to say, yes, oh, Socrates, you're so wise, of course, nobody can refute that and brings them to an argument. Whereas I feel in like an actual conversation, someone would say, no, I'm not particularly sure about that. Can you explain that a little bit more? Or no, I don't agree with that. Or what do you actually mean by life? What do you actually mean by opposite? And so, you know, it's a very one-sided thing where he gets all his points in and everyone else by default sort of seems stupid because he's the only one talking. So he must be the wisest. So that sort of felt a little bit unfair in just presenting him as this, uh, you know, person who almost could overrule the the conversation. And if you see like a debate where someone is louder, more aggressive, more assertive, they're going to appear to win it, not necessarily based on their actual arguments, but based on how they rhetorically argue. Now, the other detraction was, unfortunately, he's a little bit behind in the time. So, some of his axiomatic principles, some of the things that he 100% believes in and uh, 100% true, you know, they don't really hold up to the test of time. So, for example, he talks about how the earth is the center of the universe and everything revolves around that. Okay, that's that's probably not true. He talks about how the gods are always looking down on us, how they control men, blah, blah, blah. He talks about how the knowledge is simply recollection. So, everything that we know is actually a recollection from a previous life that our soul has lived. And, you know, there's a bunch of these things where I would say today, very not in vogue, the, those sorts of arguments. And some of them have, I guess, as, en- as much as anything can be proved to be wrong, they have been proved wrong. So, unfortunately, this undermines a lot of the arguments he makes in the book. His style obviously still is great but you know looking at those things now you just go okay he he didn't know this so obviously he'd have to change his points of view so obviously he's wrong in this case which i guess puts a dent in the in that socratic um i guess like persona which i had before him of he of him being this infallible orator of rhetoric and the wisest person so you know that's that's just a, a little personal det- detraction but doesn't detract from him as a whole now what i actually really liked was he had a lot of practical advice and sort of i guess little things that you can do to make yourself investigate your own mind and become a better person one of these he talks about is the personal oracle so this is the thing inside of you which i guess nowadays would probably call it more the gut feeling where he says I had the option to leave the jail and I was contemplating it, but my own personal oracle told me this is not the thing you should do. You should not do this. And you could call it the daemon. You could call it the inner voice. You could call it whatever, your soul, whatever it is. And he was saying, you need to listen to that. If that thing is telling you, you need to do something. And for more, it's not you need to do something, but you not need to do something. So it's more to avoid the mistakes, the big mistakes, rather than take advantage of the you know, the big advantages, which is something I I would sort of believe as well. It only takes one big mistake in your life to really mess up, you know, drunk driving, you kill someone and, and, you know, the next 20 years of your life is sort of gone. Whereas if you listen to the, uh, try and listen only to the really good things, really take advantage, 
of a situation, those those tend to come around a lot more often. Whereas, you know, just that one thing, that one thing you've done wrong and bam, your, the rest of your life can be severely affected. Now, I'm going to read, uh, uh, I suppose, so, so that was talking about the dangers and slips. And he's also got an exhortation not to become a misologist, which is, I guess, sort of a nihilistic person, someone who doesn't believe in arguments and who can't, I guess, understand how arguments are actually useful only up to a point, but you can't take it too, too far. So, there's a couple of things where uh, I really I really enjoyed from him and I'll, I'll read out one of them now. So, and the difference between him and me at the present moment is only this, that whereas he seeks to convince his hearers that what he says is true, I am rather seeking to convince myself. To convince my hearers is a secondary matter with me. So, what he's saying there is essentially, no matter the crowd, no matter who is around you and and what's going on, your argument should be to convince yourself as you as a person, not to win the group's approval, not to gain the popularity or the fame or whatever. It should be, when you're arguing, it should be for yourself and something that you believe. And so, if you're spouting lies and bullshit just to gain the the advantage of the group or of other people you're doing something wrong and, and it's going to catch, catch up with you sooner or later. So, uh, overall, the Socratic dialogues, I, I quite enjoyed them. They're short, they're easy to understand, but they also require a lot of thought and attention to it. So, I'm giving them a solid 7 out of 10. This book is called The Trial and Death of Socrates by Plato, comprised of the three uh, Socratic dialogues, Apology, Crito, and Phaedo. So, what am I going to implement from this? Uh, actually, is practical advice. So, those little snippets that I told there of, of following that inner gut, listening to yourself when you shouldn't do something rather than when you should do something and or, or at least putting more attention, more emphasis on that and then making sure you're trying to follow the truth and not just saying things to win the crowd's approval to become a, a well-known person for saying something which you don't believe in. So... That's it for today, The Trial and Death of Socrates by Plato. I hope you enjoyed. If you did enjoy, leave a thumbs up, a review, a whatever. Keep listening to other book reviews. Going to come on out, bam, 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 pumping them out. And that's it for today. Kyron out.